Hi, welcome to episode 614 of the Fantastic Forecast. I'm Dave Elliott, and after I'm finally done with the Fantastic Forecast, I'm going to use all the money I've made to take a fabulous, exotic trip around the world. Or maybe I'll go to Cleveland. Probably go to Cleveland. In every episode of the Fantastic Forecast, I talk about a different issue of the Fantastic Four, going from issue one all the way to issue 645. Today is Fantastic Four, volume four, number 13, from December 2013. The Fantastic Four are doomed, part one. The Scorched Earth, story by Matt Fraction and Carl Kessel, script by Carl Kessel, pencils by Mark Bagley. And so the issue begins with the Fantastic Four taking off for their space mission, which we learn was a year ago. Volume 4 so far has been passing in real time. So, if you think about it, the last 12 issues have only been one year. So that must be the most boring, most uneventful year the Fantastic Four have ever had. I mean, just think, in a typical year, 100 or so issues will pass. That's a lot of action and adventure for one year. These 12 issues, not so much. So we're there in the past with the members of the replacement Fantastic Four, or Future Foundation, whatever you want to call them, Ant-Man, She-Hulk, that girl with the pink hair, and uh, Medusa, so they're there on the roof of the Baxter building, and um, they're waiting for the Fantastic Four to return, but a portal opens up, and out comes, instead, Doctor Doom, Kang, Annihilus, and some robots. This begins an alternate history that is very different from the history as it transpired over the course of 2013 in the spin-off book FF Volume 2. So a year has gone by, New York City is a wreck. We see Bentley being chased by negative zone bug creatures and at the last second he gets saved by the human torch and they both fly off getting chased by Doombots. The Doombots end up getting clobbered by invisible force fields, a long stretchy arm, and a rock monster who excels in the fine art of clobbering. After they take care of the Doombots, they all land and we see that this is not the Fantastic Four we're familiar with. It's not Reed, Sue, and Ben. Mr. Fantastic is some bald guy with a Van Dyke beard. Invisible Woman looks like she might be Latino. And the thing has black rocks with orange glowing light coming out from between the cracks. But this Human Torch, he looks like Johnny. So later, at an abandoned S.H.I.E.L.D. base, They are joined by Scott Lang, Ant-Man, Dragon Man, Submariner, and Jean Grey. And they're working on a device to get past security into the fortress of Doctor Doom, Kang, and Annihilus. And it seems that this Jean Grey, in her old X-Men uniform, has come from the 1960s or the past or whatever era the original X-Men 
would have been from. And she's using her powers to keep this group undetected from that trio of mad tyrants. Now we see during this conversation, we learn that this invisible woman is Johnny's sister-in-law who had married a guy named Stevenson Storm. Not sure who that is. I guess he's supposed to be Johnny's brother. So, the bald guy with the Van Dyke is this world's Mr. Fantastic. So over at the skyscraper headquarters of Doom, Annihilus, and Kang, and really, I can't imagine any one of these three dudes working together. They'd conquer America, and then they'd try to conquer each other. Kind of like being in the current White House. So the three of them are trying to figure out how to find the Fantastic Four, and why are the Fantastic Four so hard to find? Annihilus says that worrying over the Fantastic Four is like worrying over gnats. He wants to get busy doing something else, namely conquering every alternate dimension and every reality there is. You know, why can't he just be happy being the president of the negative zone? Ugh, some people. The three bad guys get a call, and one of their robots drags in a prisoner, a bald man. At first, they think it's Mr. Fantastic, but he looks up, and it's not Stevenson Storm, it's Scott Lang. Who shaved his head for this gig? That's kind of an extreme action. He points out he can shrink, so the collar, the collar they put around his neck will do no good. And then he grows into Giant Man, he busts up the wall, and the rest of the Fantastic Four and friends come swooping in. While Namor and the others keep the bad guys busy, the Fantastic Four slip away and find the building's power core. Stevenson has a device, which the four of them pull all together, all at once, to activate it. They grab hold, and they pull, and out comes a bunch of Christmas knickknacks. No, actually, there's this burst of energy that fills the room. It shoots upward and out into space. It turns out Doom had expected the Fantastic Four to come, and he had booby-trapped the power core, and their mission has failed. The smoke clears, and Doctor Doom is standing there over the Fantastic Four. He brags that he knew what was going to happen, because he has a well-placed traitor. Invisible Woman thinks it might be Namor. Namor says it might be Bentley. Johnny says that Doctor Doom is just lying. Doom points out uh, to a points over to a bloody wound on Johnny's forehead, saying that it won't leave a scar, but he can fix that. He raises his hand and he shoots a laser blast right into Johnny's eye, and that is the secret origin of old man Johnny who was missing his left eye. So back in the normal Marvel Universe timeline, old man Johnny, old one-eyed Johnny wakes up and he doesn't have his black outfit on and he doesn't look as old as I thought he was. He wakes up from a bad nightmare. You know the entire issue was just a dream slash flashback from old man Johnny. Great. Just great. That leaves us with just a few pages of actual story where we pick up with the Fantastic Four in their spaceship. Last issue, 
Ben lost all his bricks. He stumbles into the room now, and his lumpy body is melting. Yes, it's really gross. He looks like a slimy orange swamp monster with his orange skin dripping everywhere. Reed stretches out his arm to keep Valeria back, but he loses control over his, over his powers and he can't reel his arm back in. Johnny tries to calm Ben down, but he flames on instead by accident, causing Mr. Grimm a great deal of pain. Parts of Sue's body are turning invisible uncontrollably, which, eh, you know, that's not so bad. That may be one of the easiest uh, problems to handle of the four. Old man Johnny comes in and says that he knows what their problem is and he knows how to fix it. Sue says uh, he could have told them that a lot earlier. And then he says, oh, he just remembered. He just remembered. How convenient for the plot of this book. He says cryptically, I know where you have to go. I know what you have to do. But you're not going to like it. Because even if you don't die, you're all doomed. And that is the end of the issue. Which is the beginning of a four-part story that concludes Volume 4 of this series. And so that takes us over to... FF Volume 2, Number 13. Moloid C, Moloid Do. Written by Matt Fraction and Lee Allred, art by Mike Allred. So the Future Foundation gang was teleported to some other dimension at the end of last issue, seemingly. And at this point, Dr. Doom and his gang of Annihilus, Young Kang, and his girlfriend, Ravona have no idea where the Future Foundation went. As Scott begins to explain where they are, a fourth wall-breaking ca cameo from the fake Julius Caesar appears and says that Scott has shrunk everyone down and they're hiding inside the impossible man which you do have to say that is the last place anyone would look ever I think most people are hopeful that they're inside the impossible man's clothing but really they're inside the impossible man's guts a little version of a impossible man appears and chats with everyone. He says they've reached their destination, they pop out, and they're at the Watcher's house on the moon. When the Watcher threatens to toss them out of his house, Scott pulls out the ultimate nullifier. Why is he just casually carrying around the ultimate nullifier? And the Watcher announces, I shall sit in a chair now. And Scott has the She-Hulk tie him up to the chair. Like, really? Is that gonna work? And why is it... And so why is Uatu the Watcher so desperate to be alone? Well, a girl Watcher enters the room. Yeah. Uatu was just about to get a little something-something. Scott tells the kids to go outside and play. And after they're gone, he admonishes Alex Power for helping Doctor Doom. But you know, at this point, isn't Alex's parents most likely dead, killed by Dr. Doom? I mean, that was a plan, right? If Alex didn't do what Dr. Doom wanted? Outside, the Moloids encounter a bunch of apes, which is an odd thing to find on the moon. 
And the fish kids encounter the red ghost. So maybe finding apes isn't so strange. And for some reason, there seems to be four different versions of red ghost from different timelines? I'm not sure. But the Future Foundation kids start attacking all four of the red ghost. Meanwhile, Scott has untied the Watcher and let him and his girlfriend go off to a room together, most likely so they can get it on. And we learn that she is pregnant. I wonder if anything ever came in this plot point. I remember a big crossover where the Watcher was killed, right? I don't know. It has to be not long after this issue. So, anyway, the issue ends with Scott calling everyone back to come up with a way to defeat Doctor Doom. And that is the end of another crazy, crazy issue of FF Volume 2. And the end of another year of Fantastic Four Adventures. Starting next time, we move on to the year 2014. And then we have half a year of comics in 2015 and I'm done. If you have any questions about the Fantastic Four, about this podcast, or if you need relationship advice, you can email me at podcastff at gmail.com. You can download other episodes of iTunes and find them all at www.podcastff.podbean.com. So long, kids. This podcast is over. So I